Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, episode 135, a tribute to Jeremy Dale. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm John. I'm Shannon. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, yeah, this is actually a special episode of Star Joe's because uh, we lost someone who was very close uh, to a lot of us, uh, one of our own, really, uh, which is Mr. Jeremy Dale. He was a, a comic creator and just all-around great guy. Uh, he was, you know, when you hear just, boy, he was a good guy, I mean, that's the definition of who Jeremy was. And sadly, uh, we lost him recently, uh, just within the last couple weeks. Uh, it was very sudden. It was very unexpected. Uh, Jeremy was only 34 years old, so obviously well before anyone should be leaving us. I felt compelled. I'm not a, a comic creator, but... With this show, i able to do some creative stuff, and I wanted to do something for Jeremy because, again, we've lost some people that are tied to Star Joes in the past, such as like Ralph McQuarrie and things like that, but no one that we knew on a personal level, and Jeremy was definitely somebody that we knew on a personal level. Uh, I only met him a couple times, but uh, John and Shannon knew him very well, in the, especially in the last few years. And uh, Robert also did know him very well. Unfortunately, Robert couldn't join us tonight because he wasn't feeling too well this evening. Uh, but he told us to, to continue uh, with doing the show and just to pass along his condolences. Uh, like I said, Robert got to know Jeremy pretty well. In fact, Robert spoke to Jeremy at New York Comic Con uh, this year. And so that was only, what, maybe a couple weeks before, unfortunately, we lost him. Yes, since a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, like I said, we wanted to do something to honor him. And so what this episode is, even though it is going to be sad that we lost him, we wanted to celebrate who he was, his work. I actually, uh, in in between some of the episode uh, of this episode, I'm going to insert some interviews so you'll actually get to hear Jeremy talk about his comic creating uh, when it comes to Skyward, when it comes to... Uh, just creating comics in general. Uh, there was an interview by Previews World. There was one by Dork Shelf. There was a wrap-up interview uh, after Free Comic Book Day in 2011 that I watched, and all of them seemed like really good, would give you guys a really good idea of who Jeremy was. Uh, there's also, at the end of this episode, is an interview done by a, a man named Kurt Sasso, who uh, did a 26-minute interview with Jeremy. And unfortunately, the video only got about 20 views uh, because this video interviewer just doesn't have a big following right now. Uh, and I felt like that interview was something that should get a lot more exposure. Not that we're anything really big, but we do get more than 20 people listening to us. So uh, I wanted to make sure that Jeremy's voice was heard from that interview, especially because, like I said, he talks a lot about the, him creating comics and, and everything else and what he who his inspirations are and, and things like that. So, but I thought we, what we would do first is first talk about how we knew Jeremy, how we first met him and everything else. So, uh, Shannon, if you wanted to, to start with as far as how you knew Jeremy and how you met him and everything. Uh, yeah, I, I only knew Jeremy from the cons and it, I don't remember how many years ago it was, but it was the first time we met was heroes con and they sat us next to each other and I assume it was because of both of us having worked on G.I. Joe. And like you said earlier, anybody that knew Jeremy, he was just a great guy. And the 
minute you met him, you wanted to be his best friend because he's just, he was so outgoing. He was so warm, friendly, always willing to just help out, do whatever. Um, and it was from that, that every year after that, I specifically requested to sit next to him. Um, his wife, Kelly, they were always so welcoming. And that you knew that no matter what happened at the show, you could make a buck. It didn't matter. You were going to have a good time just because you were hanging out with them. He's just, you know, I was telling his father at, at the services, it was odd because I, although I'm 10 years older than he was, I learned more from him uh, than I probably ever gave in return, even though I have 10 years more experience or whatever in the industry or just as an artist. He was just, he was so good at dealing with people. He was amazing to just watch and listen to when he was talking to kids or fans because um, he, he just played off of their excitement. He just got into it and he really enjoyed comics. He really enjoyed what he was doing. And he knew how to communicate that. Like most artists, especially myself and other people, can tend to be very shy and introverted until they get to know you. But Jeremy just had that way of connecting with people instantly. He was he was just a great guy, and you always wanted to hang out with him. Nice, uh, John. How did how did you meet Jeremy? And so when I I first started going to conventions and learned about getting sketchbooks and and started working on a Joe book, uh, I actually found Jeremy through DeviantArt. And, and his work there, I was not reading the Joe comics at the time, didn't know of his connection to the, the, the two-pack comics until later. But uh, we went to Baltimore in 2010, and Jacob and I both had new, brand-new sketchbooks ready to go and uh, got in line for Herb Trimpey. And Mr. Trimpey, as, as usual, was not necessarily at his table right on time. And so <laughs> we started walking around, and I – ran into Jeremy, I recognized his name from, from the Deviant site, and we started talking, and over the next little bit, actually, he initiated both our sketchbooks. He did a did a, a shipwreck for Jacob and a Cobra Camp Commander for me, and uh, I went through his original art. I picked up a, a page from 21B, which was his version of the silent issue, and uh, as we sat there, and, you know, we just talked and talked, and a lot about G.I. Joe and just comics in general and Jacob at that time was drawing quite a bit and pulled out his little portfolio as it were and started showing them and they started giving him some pointers on what to work on and Kelly was doing a lot of inking for Jeremy at that time and so she gave him a pen and said well, why don't you try this and see if this helps as you're, as you're working on your uh, as you're working on your art and so we had a great time talking to them obviously went around the show the rest of the day we went back to our hotel room that evening and jacob pulled out one of his sketches and uh it was a g uh, a star wars sketch rather obi-wan and quigon jen i think and he took that pen that kelly had given him and started inking the pencils and then the first thing he wanted to do the to the next day was to go back to them to show him what he'd worked on and so he first thing in the morning get right back there you know get right in front of him and show him the, what he'd worked on and they gave him some pointers and we're just really fortunate we we went to several events that they attended uh the acme free comic book greensboro north carolina um and and i won a sketch a day contest that jeremy had at one point and nice. uh just, it, it was funny because yeah he initiated a, another sketchbook for daniel he actually drew uh, uh quinn from skyward when he even before i believe he f published the first uh, his first self-published 
issue zero, I guess, or issue one at the time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just over the years, got to talk to him. And uh, in 2012, there was the uh, the rainout year at Greensboro, where the tent that all the artists sat in fell under, collapsed in the rain. Oh, uh, Keith Knutson was there. He he would remember this too. And so after after the official show was over, we went in there had gone to lunch or dinner weather with Keith and we came back and all the artists were still hanging around. And so I stood there and talked to Jeremy for, I don't know, maybe an hour, talked to him for quite a while, just about different things and the Atlanta art scene and what he was working on. And he was doing some sketches here and there, but you know, I was really fortunate. We got to see him in, uh, I guess, what was it? September Shannon at Baltimore, uh, had dinner while we were there. And, uh, yeah, so we're just very, very fortunate to to get to know Shannon. Uh, to get to know Shannon, obviously know Shannon. Get to know Jeremy uh, and and Kelly as well, who is one of the sweetest people you ever meet. With one of the coolest sketchbooks you'll ever see. Uh, she has a Firestar sketchbook, uh, Firestar from Spider-Man: Amazing Friends, and nice. some of the neatest sketches from some of the greatest artists on the planet. Uh, it was always fun. I got to spend some time with her at Baltimore. We were looking at sketchbooks while I was waiting for Walt Simonson. But uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, the infamous way. <laughs> the infamous way. Yes. Which go to a couple episodes in the past where John talks about that. That. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I actually uh, met Jeremy because of you, John. Uh, I didn't really. I heard the name Jeremy Dale before. Uh, but really didn't have any way of piecing how I knew that name. When I went to Baltimore the year after you met him, I remember you pulling me aside and saying, "Hey, you really need to meet Jeremy Dale." Uh, he, you know, because I was constantly networking, constantly looking for people to bring on the show and everything else that had some ties to GI Joe or Star Wars or Transformers or anything. And you're like, he's, he worked on Joe, he's a great artist, great guy, you, you really need to meet him. So uh, I went over there kicking and screaming, no, uh, I went over there and was like, like you said, just super nice guy, very welcoming, was very excited to talk to me and everything. And uh, uh, I actually bought, uh, I think he, at the time he had like the trade of Skyward, which was self-published at that time. Uh, and so it was, it was in black and white other than the cover uh, had a little bit of color to it and everything else but so you could really see his art work in that and I was like alright yeah I'll pick this up and I'll take a look at it looks interesting I mean the, the characters and the drawings and everything else you know they, they look like something I would like so I was like alright I'll go ahead and pick this up and I believe it was the year after that uh, I still had not read it <laughs> and I was like but I wanted to get something signed by Jeremy, which is, I think the issue I got signed by him was the same issue that I ended up getting an original art page from, uh, which was the G.I. Joe 2-pack one with Tomax and Zamot in it. And the issue was 36 and a half. So it takes place between 36 and 37 of the Marvel run. And it was uh, called A Bad Day at the Circus. And so I had him sign that issue. And then I was looking through his original art pages and there was a page there that had Tomax and Zayma and it had Duke and Flint. I love Tomax and Zayma and I love Flint. So I was like, all right, I'll accept the fact that Duke is in this issue uh, on this page. Um, but no, it was an awesome looking picture. It's one of my most treasured possessions that I have because it's just a beautiful page. And 
like you said, he, he could not have been nicer. And, and Kelly, like you guys have mentioned, is just fantastic, very welcoming, and will interact with you when even when Jeremy has to be focused on his drawings because he's there to you know to, to do sketches and everything else along with meeting the fans. So there's times when he'll be sketching and he's he'll still interact with you. Uh, but Kelly does a great job of kind of filling in that time as well and, and talking with the fans and everything else uh, so that he can get some work done as well. The one regret that I, I did have was uh, this past Baltimore, I wasn't able to go. My plan was that Baltimore next year, I was planning on coming with uh, the blank sketch cover of Skyward, which was issue number two. The variant for issue number two was a blank sketch cover. And I wanted to buy an original page from Skyward, um, at least one, if not more. And I wanted to have him draw, commission him to draw uh, Quinn and Jack, the dog, uh, kind of in a back-to-back fighting stance pose with Link from Legend of Zelda. I knew Jeremy was a big fan of Legend of Zelda. I'm a huge fan of Legend of Zelda. And you can definitely see some of the inspirations of that in Skyward. So I thought those would be two great characters to have on on a cover. Uh, Sad to say that isn't going to happen. However, I did reach out to an artist that knew Jeremy as well, uh, Chrissy Zulo. uh, And she's actually going to draw that for me. And so I thought that was awesome of her. She has a style that I think would work really well for that. So she was very saddened to hear about Jeremy as well. And uh, I let her know that we were doing this podcast. And I told her I'd send her a link to it uh, once we were done. But she felt very honored to that I would ask her to, to draw that because of what Jeremy meant to so many comic creators. So yeah, it was just it was shocking news uh, when we heard he passed away. I actually had... Uh, friend and listener of the show, Travis, uh, reached out and texted me and said, did you hear that Jeremy passed away? And uh, I, of course, because knowing that he had just been with Robert at New York Comic Con and stuff like that, I was like, this has to be some sick joke. You know, that can't be true. And uh, John called me uh, about a minute after that text message and told me, unfortunately, the sad news. Um, so even though I never really had a chance to express, you know, how much Skyward meant to me, I mean, it's honestly one of my favorite comic series ever, even though it's short-lived. Uh, it, it means that much to me. It just really spoke to me. It's a great all-ages thing, which I think is part of the reason I loved it so much. And I know that's why Jeremy loved it, too. He was all about the all-ages comics, so... We are here doing exit interviews for Free Comic Book Day 2011. 2011, that's right. It's crazy. We are with yeah. Jeremy Dale. Here we are. How many times have you been here now? This is my third year, I think it is now. So okay. What are your thoughts after your third year? Oh, it's still, they still run a great show here. They really do. Uh, Acme has been great to us. Uh, you know, they bring out a stellar list of creators, and it, it's really nice to see the, you know, the way the fans react and everything. They're just so excited to, you know, get their sketches, get their comics, and and the lines were look, just running so smoothly. It's really nice. Cool. What was the coolest thing you drew today? Oh, the coolest thing I drew. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I would have to say the. Uh, 
the Snake Eyes fighting Godzilla would probably be the best one I had. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds complicated. Well, I, uh, <laughs> kind of obscured part of it. I had a, one of his paws covering most of uh, the action there. So, yeah, I didn't have to go too far, too overboard with it. That's cool. Did you have any strange requests? Yes, yes. Always strange requests, uh, regardless of what, you know, event it is, what show. And uh, I think uh, the weirdest one for me today was a G.I. Joe character dressed as a Confederate soldier. Uh, <laughs> That's also very Did not know what to make of that one. So, uh, but I got it done and uh, he seemed to be really pleased with it. Any other thoughts on... Well, I really hope that uh, it was great this year. It's always been great. And uh, it's always nice to see uh, creators and see them, uh, you know, bring new guys in as well. And I uh, look forward to seeing you next year as well. Cool. Thanks for heading up from Atlanta. Well, thank you. Shannon, I, I don't know if you still have it there. Um, I know that you said you went to... The funeral itself, uh, and I know you said you had some material about Jeremy that kind of talked talked about Jeremy. I don't know if you'd like to share that with with everyone. Yeah, at the uh, at the funeral, they had uh, I don't I never know what to call them. It's not a flyer, but it's kind of a little uh, commemorative about Jeremy. Yeah, and it has a, a, a brief kind of summary of him. Um, and it's only three paragraphs, so I'll just go ahead and read that for those that didn't get to go. And it's really nice because it has, the, the cover just says Forever Skyward, and then it has uh, Jeremy's signature. And then on the back of it, it has the image of Quinn and Jack, and, and it has his um, birthday, and then the day of his passing on the back. But in on the inside, it has a little kind of rundown of his life, and it's Jeremy Heathdale was born in Muncie, Indiana on November 22, 1979. He grew up in Kokomo, Indiana, and moved through Columbia, South Carolina before settling in Atlanta, Georgia. He was a vibrant and vital part of the artist community and brought laughter and life to everything he was part of. His comic art brought joy to the lives of thousands, and his book Skyward has been heralded as one of the key titles in a renaissance of all-ages comics. His legacy is one of happiness, delight, warmth, and inspiration. He is survived by his mother and father, Heather and Terry Dale, his brothers Jerry, Carrie, and Brett Dale, and his wife Kelly Dale, and his dog Kirby. <laughs> I just I thought it was really sweet. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, I I laughed because of the the dog Kirby because I know Kirby meant a lot to him, but it I I know how much Kirby meant to him too. <laughs> so, and. Uh, I actually looked up some information. I don't know how much of this is true, but I found it interesting. Uh, of course, I found it on Wikipedia, so again, who knows how much of it's true. Um, but it did say that uh, he graduated in 98 from Kokomo uh, High School. He published his own comic called Thin Cage and was selling him to, selling it to his classmates for a dollar during lunch breaks, <laughs> which I found very interesting. <laughs> he attended uh, Olivet Nazarene University and created strips for the school newspaper. Uh, his first published work was in 2003, uh, a comic book series called Trust, which he wrote and illustrated. Uh, the story revolved around a young man's quest to understand the mysteries behind his parents' past. Uh, in 2007 is when Jeremy was brought on as an illustrator for the G.I. Joe Real American Hero 25th Anniversary comics. 
and those comics were included uh, with uh, the two the two packs of action figures that started in 2008. So originally, those the two packs uh, for those that aren't familiar or that might be familiar, they started off with just reprints of original Marvel comics. And I think there was like four of those or five of those, and uh, they were so popular that Hasbro said, "Hey, let's do some, maybe some original stuff." Uh, some of those took place in between the the Marvel issues, so some of those stories took place, and uh, they were written by Larry Hama and Jeremy did I think six of them. Not all of them took place in between issues of of Marvel, but uh, some of the first ones did. In two thousand eight, uh, he he was a Harvey Award winner for Pop Gun, which was an Image comic. I also from one of the interviews I listened to found out that uh, it's kind of interesting that his dog's named Kirby because when he was asked who are some of his inspirations for art, he said uh, Jack Kirby and uh, Mike Waringo were a couple of the people that really inspired him. So uh, I assume that's where the dog's name of Kirby came from. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I think he even said at one point that he, he was going to name him Kirby and then decided against it because <laughs> he thought that was just too obvious. <laughs> Um, I will say the one thing that I am grateful to see, especially because uh, I think it, it will honor Jeremy a, a little bit more, is the IDW hardcovers of the A Real American Hero run include those in-between issues. Hmm. So oh, wow. is, issue number okay. 21 is followed right, right away with issue 21 and a half. I think that's pretty awesome, and, and I like that they did that. And I will say for a fact that those will be issues that we do cover as we get further and further into uh, our Kessel Run episodes, uh, where we review those old G.I. Joe issues. Most likely, I don't. Know, it depends on the story, but I know for t- issue number twenty-one, we'll we'll cover the original issue number twenty-one and cover issue twenty-one and a half or twenty-one B, I think it was called, um, which is it's basically the same story told from a different perspective. You're going to do it in sign language, right? Right, exactly. So it's silent. We're just what we're going to do is going to be silent. I'm just going to hold pictures up to the microphone. There you go. So yeah, <laughs> but I think it, it it would be very. I was intending to do that all along, and I think that would be a really good way also to kind of respect his, the work that he did and everything uh, on those type of issues. But for those that didn't know his ties to GI Joe, that's where it. it that's where his main tie comes from. But he was a big fan of G.I. Joe in general. Uh, I know last time I talked with Robert, or we talked with Robert, uh, he said that when you talk to Jeremy, he had such a love for the property and everything uh, that he just got excited about it. Which I think from what I've heard from a lot of people, that's kind of how he was about comics and anything he threw himself into was that he was just very passionate about stuff and very excited to, to be involved in stuff, so so it was pretty cool. There was a lot of, not to jump in, but yeah. I, there was a lot of discussion about that at the services. Yeah. That Jeremy was just one of those guys that someone was saying they would come up to a table, like they'd be standing there and talking to him, and some kid would come up to the table, and Jeremy would be like, hey, you know, what's your favorite character? And the kid would be like Iron Man or whoever. And he would just instantly start jabbering with them about all the cool things about Iron Man and, you know, whatever their other stuff. But he just had that energy, like you were saying about comics. He loved comics, and he loved all comics. Yeah. And it, to him, it didn't matter what you read as long as you were reading. 
Yeah. And he just loved the, it was just, it was a passion of his and he wanted to share it with anybody that had that same passion. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and, and I will say, uh, speaking of the, the services and everything else, I know uh, another person that, that knew him pretty well was uh, Tom Feaster, and he posted uh, on Facebook about Jeremy and, and the services and everything else and talked about Skyward and basically said, you know, told people, go out and read Skyward if you want to know who Jeremy is. Uh, just read Skyward and you'll know instantly who Jeremy was. And I made a comment saying, well... It would be so nice if Action Labs or, or whatever, you know, did something to to pay a tribute to Jeremy as well, whether it's just collecting the, you know, all the issues into one volume with like a nice hardcover or something like that, or just, just to do something. And uh, Tom said that there was some talk around doing something, nothing definitive yet or anything like that, but there was definitely some talks that people wanted to do something. I know that he was pretty he did nine issues of skyward and that he had three issues that were already solicited including a trade that collected those three issues because uh, there are three trades out there right now that encompass those nine issues so each trade has three issues in it and then there was already solicitations for issues 10 11 and 12 uh, with variant covers and the traditional cover so those were already done and i don't know how far in the story was already done but I think it would be awesome, you know, to have a collected edition that had the nine issues and even if it's incomplete work, just to kind of see some of that and see the covers that were going to be done. Um, I think it would be an awesome tribute to him because again, that was, that comic was Jeremy. That, that was all hundred percent Jeremy. So... Hey gang, we're here at the Previews World headquarters. We're talking to Jeremy Dale. He decided to swing on by and let us know what's going on with his new book, Skyward. There, uh, man, thank you so much for stopping on by. My I'm a little tongued out. I've only had one cup of coffee today, so I'm going to see what I can do here now. So, thanks so much for coming by and swinging no by. Um, it was issue number 300 of the catalog. It just came out that the book was announced as an ongoing series. So that's what caught our eye. We wanted to know what was going on. Tell us about the book, man. What's going on? It's only in issue number five, I think. It's here in the catalog, but yeah. an ongoing series I mean what's what's going on uh, Skyward's my new creator owned series from Action Lab it's a fantasy adventure about a group of people that are facing off against the impending invasion of their homeland if you like comics like Bone or Telos the Studio Ghibli films uh, or video games like Legend of Zelda or Secret of Mana it's going to be right up your alley it's been a huge success so far. The first two issues have sold out through the distributor, you guys here at Diamond, okay. and, and worldwide, I guess, as well. We're going back to second printing uh, as we speak. I just approved that right before I got on the plane to head up here, and uh, up too sunny in Baltimore, as I said earlier. But uh, yeah, uh, those sold out, and now we're going to second printing, and actually, we are getting a huge amount of press because Invest Comics just named it the number seven on their top 10 list of the most valuable comics that have been released and or created in the past two years. So that's a really big deal. That's a nice yeah. uh, tip of the hat right there. Yeah. How long have you been working on the story? I mean, you're only on, you know, first couple issues here, but what? tell us about a little bit about the origin of the project. Yeah, I've been working on it for a few years. It's uh, it's something that I've really wanted to do because I've done licensed books like, you know, G.I. Joe or video game work on Marvel Kapow for Marvel Comics, things like that, and the, or the NFL Super Bowl issue this year. And I was kind of getting tired of doing some licensed books. So I wanted to do something of my own and something with a little bit more heart 
And uh, I was kind of getting tired of, you know, getting those pitches from writers or editors saying, you know, hey, I got this book. It's perfect for you. It's a zombie apocalyptic tale and everything. It's just too dark for me right now. I've already done a lot of that in comics. And so I wanted to do something of my own. And, and Skyward's it. It's a light fantasy book, and I, I'm really enjoying it. It's, uh, it's going to be going off in a really big direction. Uh, the main character is Quinn and his dog Jack here. Uh, after a traumatic traumatic event, he ends up going off into a strange new world that he didn't know existed. He lived in the middle of the woods and with his parents, and because of something that happens in issue one, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, he gets sent off on his own, and he finds a whole new set of creatures and characters that are uh, incredibly fun to work on right now. All ages books seem to be more or less something that's up and coming now. I think that creators like yourself are starting to see how it's really a good idea to give the kids something to start growing up on. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I think especially because we have such a so many so much variety as it is in the industry. Whether it's, I mean, in the past twenty years, we've seen a really big shift towards mature reader books, and we, there's almost this sense of we want to make sure that we're seen as you know legitimate comics or legitimate literature now. But at the same time, we've almost abandoned that all ages aspect of comics. Twenty years ago or whatever, when I was a kid reading books. Every book would be considered, I guess, all ages, except for, I guess, what, Watchmen or The Dark Knight Returns. Right. And I kind of wanted to return back to those days when just about anybody could pick up a comic. And no matter what age you are or how new you are to comics or old you are to comics, it's something you might enjoy. Now, moving forward with the series as it, uh, as it starts taking off, you're not going to be the only cover artist, I think, that's going oh, to be no. doing these books. It sounds like you got a lineup of some other people that are waiting to uh, oh, yeah. put their pens and uh, what's going on. Oh, yeah. Starting with issue three, which, uh, as I were filming this right here, comes out in, what, two weeks or something like that. Uh, we have a bunch of retailer incentive covers that are starting up by a who's who in the industry of artists that are just really blowing my mind with the covers they're turning in. Guys like Stefan Rue and Mike Norton is doing issue four. Uh, Kari Randolph is on issue five. Randy Green. Laura Martin's doing a lot of the colors. Phil Noto. Uh, we also have Andy Price, Gene Hodge, Chris Russo, Brandon Peterson, Mark Brooks. I mean, so many more names that we can't even talk about right now, and it's just, just a huge list. You must be pretty popular. I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> no, these guys, superstars these That's a lot of people to talk about, man. For years, and I'm really happy that they were able to, uh, you know, get, donate their time and energy to something like uh, my book. Well, good luck to you, brother. Thank, Thank you so much, man, for talking to us. My Folks, pleasure. Skyward, look for it at a comic shop near you, right? It's out there. You're bound to have a lot of fun with it. Keep the faith. Keep reading comics. I wanted to talk a little bit too, just as far as you know. We talked about how you know Shannon. You mentioned like you met him and you in, you instantly have to like him. Um, I was going to mention some of the people that he got to do variant covers because there was a variant cover for every single issue. Um, the first one he did the variant, which was a convention ex exclusive, and then there was the blank sketch cover, which I mentioned. Um, but he number three had, uh, and I might be butchering some people's names, so I apologize, but. Uh, Stephane Rue, or Stefan Rue, uh, who was known for work on New Mutants and Teen Titans Go. Uh, then we had Mike Norton was on issue number four, uh, which he's known right now for doing Revival, and he does his own comic called Battle Pug. Then we had uh, number five was done by Kari Ran uh, Randolph. Number six was done by Randy Green, uh, which Randy Green's known on Witchblade and X-Men. Phil Noto on Black Widow. On number eight, it was Chris uh, Giarusso, who's known for uh, G-Man. Yep. Uh, number nine was Gene Ha. 
uh, who's known right now and like well not right now but was known uh, recently on Action Comics and he did top ten. Um, but then on number 10, 11, and 12, we had uh, David Peterson, who's known for Mouse Guard, Craig Russo, uh, who's known for independent comic called Perhaps Nots. Perhaps Nots, yeah. And then number 12, to celebrate the a full year's worth of Skyward, uh, there was going to be a limited run of uh, variant cover done by Darwin Cook. Wow. And that... And I've seen the covers for these. You can find them on the internet and everything else. And the Darwin Cook one was absolutely amazing looking. And again, it was these were just, I'm assuming all of them, I know a lot of them were, but I assume all of them were just people that Jeremy got to know at the conventions and everything, like you were talking about, Shannon. Um, and then they were happy to, to see a comic like this succeed, so they wanted to help contribute to that. Well, And, and part of it is, is it was just Jeremy, you yeah. know, that... It seemed like he knew everybody. Yeah. I mean, and, and granted, he was at a lot of shows, but he just had a personality that would talk to anybody and could fit in with anybody. But a lot of those guys, yeah, they were they were willing to do it, even though their schedules were packed, just yeah. because it was Jeremy. Yeah. You know, and, and Kelly was the same way. I mean, people would bend over backwards for Kelly. It, it was funny because we were talking about it at, at the services that they were like salt and pepper shakers he didn't have one without the other <laughs> you know and yeah. and you couldn't picture them with anybody else yeah you know what I mean like you, you see some couples it's like oh yeah and you kind of see why they're together when you met them there was no doubt this is the person they were supposed to be with yeah um, that, that's awesome that is awesome and that's like when I started looking at the list of like I said these creators and everything else I was like and, and like I said, commenting on Tom Feaster's page and everything else, I was like, and then looking at Skyward and seeing this world that Jeremy created and everything else. I mean, he was, there's some creators that are good storytellers as far as writing. And then there's some that are good artists. And Jeremy was, when you read Skyward, he is honestly an awesome mixture of both. I mean, I'm sure, like you were saying, him and Kelly, you know, uh, were like two peas in a pod and everything else. I'm sure he bounced stuff off of Kelly when, you know, when as far as stories and everything else. And I'm sure she helped strengthen the, the, the stories for him and everything else because they worked so well together. But I, I know it's like one of the things I was thinking of too when, like I said, when I was talking, uh, communicating with uh, Tom Feaster and, and looking at these creators and everything else, I was like, and the world that he created, I was like, man, it would be so awesome. I don't see it ever, ha I don't see it happening, but it would be so awesome if there was like, uh, kind of like what they did in Mouse Guard, where it was like Tales of Tales of the Mouse of the Guard, where it was other creators that came in and told stories in that world. I would love to see like uh, other creators come together and do little short stories that are collected in like a trade format or, or hardcover or something like that of telling stories in this world that Jeremy started creating um, because it's deep. There's a lot of substance there that he created in nine issues that actually absolutely blew me away. And he set up in this last, this, I think it was this past year's, Yeah. This past year's free comic book day. He had a story in there that was about to set the tone for the next stage in the story and everything else. So, um, and he, in that short story in that free comic book day issue, he was already introducing several other characters and a whole nother side of this land that he was creating and everything else. So 
I admire his work and I admire him as a person. It's, um, it, it's just, like I said, it's just absolutely incredible and, and very, very sad that we're not going to see more of that get realized from, from him directly, at least. To kind of lighten things up a little bit, one thing I'm curious about, because I'm sure Jeremy would love this, is do you guys have any stories, love Jeremy, as far as like maybe the most absurd moments with him, especially being at conventions? I'm sure, Shannon, you sit next to him all the time. There's probably some crazy situations. And John, you know, going you know out to dinner and everything else with him. Uh, I'm sure there's been stories that have been told and everything else. Uh, can, can you guys think, not hate to put you on the spot, but can you think of anything that comes to mind? John, go ahead. My, my favorite story was Heroes 2012 was uh, one of my favorites. Shannon and Jeremy are sitting next to each other. This gentleman comes up and with his wife, his teenage son with him, and has a sketchbook. Uh, wanted a specific G.I. Joe character, a very popular character, was starting a sketchbook totally focused on that particular character and asked Shannon, you know, hey, listen, he, I, I guess he'd gotten a commission from Shannon the year before or something. had come by and talked to him, and he said, listen, I'd really like you to, to get something in my sketchbook. And Shannon said something effective, hey, listen, you know, would love to do something for you, but uh, I've got a little bit of a list right now. And, uh, I, you know, but listen, you know, Jeremy worked on, G.I. Joe, uh, his list looks like, but he's he's really fast, and and that's one thing with Jeremy too. You know, he worked a lot of his sketches are very unique, and they're in that blue pencil, and you see a lot of it out there. He just you know he cranked things out very quickly and uh, very you know uh, in in his own style. But so the guy goes to over to to Jeremy and says, "Oh, would you do something in this book?" And he opens it up to the front, and he draws this great two page scene of this particular character most of you can assume who it is because it's probably the most popular gi joe around <laughs> big character and fighting kind of scene and he he wrote word bubbles not not speech balloon again might give you a cue who it is <laughs> and he does this great you know two-page layout right in the front of the book to start it out guy comes back with his wife and he opens it and he's all excited and and the wife starts rubbing the pages. And like, okay. <laughs> uh, Shannon's sketching away. He probably didn't even see it, but she's rubbing on the pages. And apparently Jeremy put a little pinhole in the paper with his pencil. And the wife sees it and says something like, what is this hole? And Kelly says, oh, well, you know, that's, it happens. And just, well, how do I fix it? Do we put tape on it? Well, no, no. Do that. Just if you don't mess with it, it should be fine. And lady looks at Kelly and goes, well, who are you? Well, I'm your wife. Oh, okay, great. You know, and all of a sudden, it's like a whole other conversation. <laughs> so he brings the book over to Shannon at this point. You know, hey, can can I get something from you? And Shannon said, "Well, listen, I've got uh, I've got these commissions, and I'm doing a panel, but I will work on yours. It's done." And, and the wife says something like, "Well, you know, how long is that going to be?" And he said, "I think he said two hours. Well, let's say two hours for the sake of." I've never seen Shannon Gallant sketch a f- sketch so quickly as I did with thing and he's drawn 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 and he's putting it together and i said you know dude what are you doing he goes i want to be done and, and jeremy's listening to all this you know he's i just want this thing done so when they come back i don't have to talk to her <laughs> <laughs> so sure enough about that two hour mark 
all of a sudden we see them off and you know kind of right in the ten feet away, and she is eyeballing Shannon. Wow. <laughs> She's sketching away, thinking Shannon's going to act like just drawn as fast as he can. And so he finishes the mission and he shuts the book and he puts it over on the corner of the table, which I've never seen him do, where the the person can see that he's done this. And um, she comes back to the table and. She comes to the table with the husband. The husband opens the book to the second page. He's done this really nice commission of this character everybody knows. And same thing, kind of rubs on it. Maybe that's her thing. I don't know. Rubbing on it. He pays him. He's thanking Shannon. And she kind of snarled and they went on. And somehow the comic's up about the hole in the paper again. And they get out of earshot. And Jeremy suddenly says, well, if you didn't buy a sketchbook with recycled paper, maybe that wouldn't happen. Oh, jeez. Because <laughs> the, the cheapest sketchbook no demand. Wow. To me, it was hilarious. Only because, especially, like I said, this lady was so snarly. And, sure. and when she, when Kelly said something, about the, when she's rubbing the paper, she, the hole's in there, how do we fix it? Do we put tape on it? Oh, no. I'm his wife. I was waiting for the moment that he asked, that I would say something he would ask if I was. Because I was told... <laughs> prepared for an answer it did not happen but i'll never but i just know when they got out of earshot shannon again you may not remember but i just remember jeremy just basically shouted out you know you got this cheapy sketchbook and that's why you got a hole in paper nice i yeah it was fun i i i don't think i'll ever forget that it was just it was priceless yeah that's awesome that is awesome that's funny because I I did not remember that story until you told it to the point where it was dropping the book on the corner of the table, <laughs> and it was it was like it all flooded back to me. It was like yeah, I remember just wanting to get that sketch done and get it out of here. <laughs> I think Baltimore this year too. We learned well. We were with another artist who shall rename nameless, so his wife doesn't know. Um, he taught a sign language uh, table with Jeremy and Kelly about how to. Uh, uh, signal his wife when they wanted to be amorous, <laughs> and that was really funny too. Uh, I was sitting next to Kelly, and Jeremy was next to me on the other side. And do you remember that, Shannon? Uh, uh, no, no, I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say who it was because I don't want to get him in trouble. Sure. But they they have a, a, a fairly newborn or a, a, a newer baby, and other children in the house and apparently he had learned enough sign language to be able to cue his wife if they were <laughs> wanted to be intimate so nobody would know they make this signal and that was the cue and we're all just howling at the table when he's telling this story that's and, hilarious uh, jeremy well, that was a dinner that was a dinner yeah, yeah, yeah yes, okay. yes. all right yes that was that was a lot of fun too that was, that was quite humorous nice shannon you remember anything in particular um yeah, I, I've got one story that's, you know, when you put it in perspective or you put it in context, it seems highly inappropriate. But, <laughs> um, so when I was at the services, you know, and I was talking to Kelly, it, it, the thing about being at the service was as, as much as I love uh, Jeremy and Kelly, everybody there at the service was were people from Atlanta, or most of them were people from Atlanta or his actual family. Yeah, and so I felt kind of weird because it was like you know as, as much as I like Jeremy and we talked and we'd actually grown closer over the past year or so, I still didn't. I felt like the third wheel kind of situation. Gotcha. And so when I was talking to Kelly, I was like, "Look, I just really appreciate you letting me come. I, I just felt like I needed to be here." 
And I go, despite the fact that, you know, I wasn't as close to Jeremy as everybody else was. And she said, no, you, she goes, you don't need to worry about that. And, you know, I don't remember exact words, but because I'm sure she's going to listen to this at some point. But I, she said, don't worry about it. You, you were closer to him than you probably think you were. She goes, but you gave him one of his favorite laughs. I said, what are you talking about? And she goes, this story that, you know, and she told me the story, and I'll say it in a second, but she said it would come up on him occasionally, and he would just start laughing, and I would ask him, what are you thinking about? And he would tell me, oh, what's that Shannon story? Well, what happened is at the last Heroes Con, and I was sitting next to Jeremy, and we'd always play catch-up. Everybody that you sit next to at a con, you always end up playing catch-up. And so I'm talking to Jeremy. He goes, well, what's been going on with you lately? And I said, well, you know, just doing work and thinking about the future and things I need to do and, and get organized. He's like, well, what do you need to, you know, what do you got to get organized? I said, well, I've been thinking about burial plots. <laughs> and you Jeremy, mentioned that the last time we talked. Yeah. And, and he Jeremy, even told me that story at Baltimore. <laughs> yeah. And it was like he busted out laughing. And he goes, well, all right then. So then it became like this running gag. Yeah. And it's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. What do you think about oh, burial plots? And it was funny because he was stuck in a hotel room in Kentucky for some con. And that morning, I was watching like Me TV or Cozy TV, one of those retro channels. Yeah. And they had Morgan Fairchild on there, and she was plugging burial plots. <laughs> right? And so I sent him the website and this like video that went along <laughs> with it. I was like, a little light reading for while you're alone in the hotel room. <laughs> well, and wasn't wasn't that the same day that we recorded the yes, animated episode? <laughs> yes, it was. Because we were saying, like, he's he's sitting in a room in Kentucky thinking of burial plots. We could have had him on the show for cartoon, <laughs> talking about cartoons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so that was... That's funny. No, and, and I think, at least from what I've heard of Jeremy, again, I don't have uh, as close a connection as you guys did, unfortunately, um, just because I didn't get to see him enough times. But I, I think Jeremy would have liked that story even though given the circumstances and everything um, well he was it was you know and that was one of the things that the, the services everyone was telling stories about how it could have been just the most awkward situation and jeremy would make a joke or find a gag or whatever he was all about making people laugh they were telling some story where they watched some of his friends were watching what was it kung pao or one of those oh yeah you know parody films and they said Jeremy was laughing so hard that he fell off the couch and was grasping like with one hand reaching out toward the TV and everybody thought he was trying to pause the film. Comes to find out he was trying to get to his inhaler because oh, he was laughing so hard. <laughs> and the guy said, and we hadn't even gotten through the credits yet. <laughs> and everybody everybody that was there kept saying that, you know, one of the things about Jeremy was is you could tell a story that was funny, and if Jeremy had heard it before he wouldn't take over the story, but he would interject stuff that would just make it twice as funny. <laughs> you know, he would like point out the absurdity of what, what it was you were talking about. And he just had this knack of come, you know, he was the human equivalent of going to 11. You know what I okay. mean? It was like the story's at 10, but he takes it up that one, one extra bit. This one goes to 11. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and maybe that's why you and him got along so well, because when we've had you on for these animated episodes and or just episodes in general, like 
you're the one that's always interjecting that little something that we would have never thought of or would have never gone there <laughs> or anything. I wish it never been said. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. And and I think that's, from the sound of it, it sounds like that's kind of what Jeremy would do too, He'd interject these things that no one would think to put in there, but it just added to the, the humor of, the, of whatever was being told or whatever was going on. So it seems like that is probably why you two got along so well, because you both had that that knack, that talent. So um, he, he was a he was a funny guy. Yeah, that was John. Remember when we were at dinner? This was at Baltimore. Yes. And, yeah. and we went out a bunch of Joe guys and everything. We went out to dinner. He was telling some crazy story about like an online gamer guy. Yes. Yes. Do you remember him along? I yeah. don't because but he. Basically, Jeremy made up this whole story and got this other guy to buy into everything he was telling him, and wow, it was it was priceless. It really oh, between that <laughs> and the stories he had about his experience working on Joe was really funny too. I, maybe not the venue for it, but it was really <laughs> really funny. <laughs> Some of the experiences he had. Well, that you know that was one of the things that he and I connected on because when I first started Joe, he kind of like. You know, oh, you're you're going to be doing that. Well, you know, that's a it's a great thing to work on, but you might want to be aware of these few facts. You know, and then it was like the typewritten list of 150 things that you need to worry about. And I was like, oh no, you know, I, I appreciate that, but uh, you know, you probably just had a bad experience, and uh, you know, I, I'm not sure things will be fine. And then five years later, or whatever, since I've been on the book, I came up to him in Baltimore. I was like, remember when you told me all that stuff? He was like, yeah, and he didn't believe me. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I was right, wasn't I? I was like, yeah. But you know, it's funny you say that, Shannon, because it going back and looking at his work on Joe, he really had a lot of detractors, which is very sad. You know, obviously every artist has got yeah. fans and has got detractors, you know, or opi- opinion. Um, I've been very pleased because several of the Joe sites that shower name nameless here um, have been very uh, complimentary. And uh, in, in, since Jeremy's passing, I, I know from talking to him and from talking to Kelly, he took it very personally. Yeah. And, and I think he got a bad rap uh, from some of those folks and, you know, everybody's got an opinion and will continue to have an opinion. But, uh, but I think it's very interesting that uh, people get so passionate about it yet. How many people are buying the books or how many, you know, how many people were buying two packs for the comics? Joe fans get a bad rap on a lot of things, but I, I will say I, I've been pleased you know, in the last several weeks to see what I've read because yeah, I, I do know I we had those conversations and, and I know it it, uh, it was unfortunate that that there were so many people that wanted to take cracks at uh, at what he did as opposed to what maybe other people would have done or what have you. But yeah. uh, you know, I'm very proud of the page I have. You know, we you talk about what a good guy he was. Um, Jacob had read Skyward when he was self published and bought a page from the first issue, a nice quarter splash of the father when they were fishing and oh, yeah. got the inks. And so for Christmas that year, I wanted Jacob to have a pencil and ink page of the same art. Cause he didn't have that in his collection. And I reached out to Jeremy and he said, Hey, do you have this page? You know, Jacob bought this page for me. And he got it at Baltimore that year. And I said, Hey, do you have the pencils? And he said, I do. And he told me what it would cost. And I said, wow, you know, it's fortunately a little out of my price range for him. 
what, you know, what do you think about a commission? You know, maybe I can get a nice commission. And within, within no time, he sent me a note back and he said, look, you guys have been great to me and you've been great fans and you've been great supporters. I can give you the page for what we, what I was at, what, what I could afford. Yeah. And now it's much more meaningful because, again, Jacob's got both and nobody can take that away. Yeah. You know, he's got the all the original art from that particular page and it's a really a neat page it was something he, yeah. he really liked and you know but i appreciate i was very appreciative of the fact that he said hey you know yeah you you guys have been great we've gotten to know each other i can i can help you out and, and it was quite quite the christmas surprise for him so yeah and and i know the exact page you're talking about um i one of the things i did recently is as since the last time we we tried to get together to do this is i sat down and read the nine issues again and was amazed at how much those pages like imprinted on my brain <laughs> you know it's like like there was i would start reading i go oh yeah and then this led to this and this led to that and everything else and the, and the imagery was just incredible he put a lot of detail into his work and everything like that and like i said that's one of the things i i mean uh I'm jealous of, of your son <laughs> because I would love to, uh, like I said, one of the things I wanted to do was get an original page from there. I was, I was, you know, looking through pages and everything else. I was like, you know, I'd love to get something with like Quinn and the rabbites or, you know, something like that. Um, cause those were really my favorite characters was, uh, was Quinn and the rabbites and stuff like that. So I was like, I was like, Oh, it'd be awesome to get something like that. So Jeremy, tell me a little bit about uh, what you're working on now. As I understand, you've been doing Skyward, you did a few pinups in uh, Mice Templar. Uh, walk me through what you're working on now. Right now I'm working on Skyward, which is my creator-owned book. It's a light fantasy adventure series. Uh, I don't like to compare it to a lot of things like a lot of creators don't, uh, but if you like The Legend of Zelda video games, it's very, it's an approachable fantasy. You know, It's not the really big, thick kind that can be hard to digest for a new reader. I'm also working on a, a Marvel licensing game for the iPhone and Android market. Uh, I think it's called Marvel Kapow or whatever. And so I'm working on some of that right now. In fact, in the airport on the way back from this, I've got to start drawing that. Nice. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about how you found the convention experience so far. Because uh, you came to... You came to my attention through conventions in just that you had a really familiar and friendly style. Um, so I found you in the conventions, but how I know you've been doing the circuit, you've done a few tours. Tell me a bit about how you've uh, yeah, tell me a bit about how you that came about. You know, honestly, uh, when I was coming into the industry, uh, I kind of saw it as I need to do some career building and how what's the best way to do it in a unique way. A lot of guys do it through certain books, and it, it can be really hard to break in, say, if you're going to go through the big two. And uh, I honestly thought that if, you know, you get your name out there with the, the local markets hitting different conventions around the country, around the nation, around the world, you can really build that audience uh, naturally, organically. So I started hitting a few shows a year, and it eventually started building up into something bigger. And once I got, uh, once I got the, the gig on G.I. Joe a couple of years back, then, you know, shows were inviting me and offering me, you know, the, the, the comp tables and, you know, the stuff that they do. And so it's made it a lot easier. I couldn't do it without that half the time. And so that's why I'm able to do as many shows as I do each year is that, you know, the shows have been great. They've invited me out. They've taken care of me and they just treat us well. Um, your style is definitely invocative of Mike Waringo, the late, great Mike Waringo. Um, 
What other inspirations have you had? Uh, do you have in regards to your art style? Oh, absolutely. You know, Mike Moringo was a big inspiration to me, especially you know his stuff on Telos and and his fantastic forerun just blows me away. And anytime he would draw Spider-Man, like on his his blog and everything, yeah. and. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of the guys that inspire me are some of the some ones that probably would surprise people, but, you know, Jack Kirby, Will Eisner, the two legends, those guys, I look to them every time I'm starting something to keep the energy and to keep the storytelling smooth, you know, for each for character for its different reasons. And uh, also, I really, really enjoy Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes. I think he brings something to the table that a lot of comic artists, you know, could even learn from, even though he was doing it in a more cartoony style than most guys tend to approach. I'm trying to bring some of that to the table here. You also work uh, with your wife in regards to she does uh, colors or inks. Uh, yeah. uh, so tell me a bit about, about that process uh, and how it sort of both helped your art and sort of helped your relationship with it. Well, you know, honestly, uh, I can ink. I wouldn't say I ink well. Uh, it's not something I like to do because it feels like I'm drawing it all over again. And once I'm done with the page, uh, I want to put it away and do the next one or whatever. Uh, a couple of years ago, Kelly was like, wow, you know, I'm home. I get home from work or whatever. She works as a psychologist. And, uh, you know, you're working these late nights and she wanted to spend time with me. So she would start, you know, doodling and I would print out like scans of my artwork forward, you know, practice with on inks. Before long, uh, she was getting tips from some of our friends and other colleagues in the industry that are anchors like Mike Morales and... Mark Morales and uh, Dexter Vines and Nathan Massengill, Lawson Wallace, some of those guys that are known for their inks. And, you know, she's been getting these tips and she just come overnight and she, she does it as a hobby. It's not something she wants to do professionally, but she's really learning to, you know, uh, she's learning to appreciate a whole different side of the industry than she thought she ever would. And it's, it's really cool. And it, for me, it helps me because I know that I can trust on a certain level if I need something done really fast or, you know, dependably, I can be there to look over her shoulder and say, okay, you need to work on this or, well, that's terrible. You know, you need to redo that entirely. And so it's, uh, or she's doing something right, you know. With, with Kelly, it's, it's nice because I have that voice right there, and I don't work in a studio with other artists. And since I don't, at this moment, work in a studio with other artists, it's nice to have that feedback live right there in my home. Right on. Uh, so lastly, we've got to ask, we're dorkshelf.com. What is on your dork shelf? What do you collect? What's the first thing that you grab uh, in the event of a fire? The first thing you'd love to show off when people enter your house? Honestly, it's my original art. I have original art all over my studio. I have My studio is my drawing table, my computer, original art all over the walls. You can't even see the walls. And then a bookshelf with all my graphic novels and comics. So when, if, I, if there was a fire, I would go right for my original art, and that's like, you know, guys like Michael Ringo, you know, you, you Darwin Cook, I have, you know, Francis Manipole, you know, uh, just Chris Sprouse, his work on Tom Strong really blew me away, and so I loved his ink line on that. And everything from George Perez to Alan Davis, I have those on my wall. And those guys inspire me each time I sit down at the table to start a, another page. Very good. And we can find you at jeremy-dale.com and on Twitter at? At Jeremy Dale, one word. Beautiful. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time, man. Cheers. I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the characters he did create with uh, Skyward. Because uh, like I said, it was just, you can see a lot of inspirations in what he did. But you had, you had Quinn, which is the main boy character. And, and I don't know about you guys, but you know you definitely see a lot of you know Link, Legend of Zelda inspiration in that character he gets he gets a sword from his father uh and here we find out it's got magical properties and uh, like slicing trees and uh goblins and stuff like that 
you had Corin, who was the uh, Quinn's father, and he has like this mysterious past that starts unfolding and everything. Much like a, a Disney story, Quinn loses his parents. That's not really giving a lot away. That happens in the first few pages of the first issue. <laughs> right. And he's got Jack the dog, and Jack travels with with uh, Quinn uh, on the adventure that he's being thrusted into. And Jack is definitely when when you <laughs> when you see Kirby, you can definitely see that where the inspiration came from uh, with Jeremy's dog. Um, one of the characters I really liked also was Abigail, uh, which was this female archer character uh, who they they join up with. And the reason I really liked her is because she, I love strong female characters that aren't that make sense for the story, that aren't just forced into a story because they're the strong female character. She just she's hot. Well, yeah, that helps too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and there was like a whole like love triangle thing that was starting to build up also. And so, and then you had the rabbites, like I was talking, I was mentioning earlier, uh, and they were just really cool. And the one that cracks me up the most is the general jaw, which is this like Arnold Schwarzenegger sized rabbit. <laughs> and, uh, he's, he's basically the leader and everything. Um, then you have fun characters like, uh, Garrick, who is an elf type character and he kind of, kind of keeping an eye on Quinn he's got his giant I don't I don't know how to best describe it. it's like a cross between a chicken and a pigeon that's about six feet tall um named Oscar that he rides it's around a good, on. good description it's yeah good description. <laughs> and then when you look at some of the villains he, there's Herod who's basically the main villain of the first nine issues he's he's the one that kills Quinn's parents and uh uh, you have his slog riders, which I th- thought were fun characters. They they ride around these these creatures, and they they reminded me a lot of the goblins from Labyrinth. And I don't know if that's where Jeremy got the inspiration from, but when I saw them, I was like, wow, they there's a lot of th- those goblins from Labyrinth that I can see in them, as far as like the the helmets they wear and the armor they wear and what they look like. The other character that again, I don't know if Jeremy is a fan of the character, but I kind of saw. S- some of this character in him was the assassin, the ninja style assassin character named Scarrigan. Remind me a little bit of a Deadpool type character. Um, and like I said, I don't know if Jeremy was a fan of Deadpool or not, but it wasn't the quiet assassin type character. He would make little comments. Yeah, full of wisecracks. Yeah. He, he definitely did a lot of Deadpool sketches over the years, so I would not be surprised if he wasn't a fan. Yeah. So you, you had characters characters like that. You had some creepy-esque characters like the Vox, which were these robed messengers of these kings that Herod was working for. So And then uh, he was actually starting a whole new line of characters called the Berserkers and everything that were going to be... They were a whole other land in Skyward, uh, in the Skyward story. One character, this is just my theory with it, but there was a character called Exodus who was a, this mysterious masked warrior who fought with the king of Three Rivers. So Three Rivers is this big town, this big city, and there's a king there, queen, and this, this character named Exodus shows up, and he's masked. He kind of looks like Darth Revan from the Star Wars EU. Right. Um, and he at the in issue nine, he actually removes his mask, but you don't see it. Only Herod sees who it is. And he says... 
it can't be you. My guess, I don't know, but my guess is that it's actually Quinn's father, that he somehow lived. Even though it's a complete... The only thing that keeps me away from thinking that is the size is not the same. The size of Exodus and the size of Corrin were not... They, I think Corrin was a little bit bigger than Exodus was, but Exodus was also under a robe and everything else, so... That was my theory, and, and I might never know what the truth was behind who that was, but... Uh, but like I said, it was it was fun because you could he put in mysteries like that into the story and everything else and and like I said, I when I would read it, I would kind of see these inspirations in there. Like again, I have no idea if Jeremy <laughs> pulled this from this, but he did the short story with the large bear, spirit bear, uh, called the Grim. And all I could keep thinking of was John Candy from the Great Outdoors going, "Big bear, chase me! Big bear, chase me!" <laughs> <laughs> So um, it just had that kind of look because it was like scarred up and, and everything else. And I remember the bear in, in Great Outdoors was scarred up and everything else. So I was like, uh, I was like, I don't know if he pulled from that or not. This was definitely a scarier bear than that one. But it just that's the first thing that would pop in my head. So I found it interesting, too, that uh, issue number 10 that was supposed to come out uh, was actually going to be a dollar issue. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. Uh, it was going to be a, it was supposed to be deemed a, a great jumping on point and everything else. And to me, that just shows, I don't know if that was Jeremy's decision or action Lab's decision or a combination of both, but it, you know, I could definitely see Jeremy coming up with that, that thought of like, Hey, let's put this one out there for a dollar just to get people jumping onto it, get kids jumping onto it and everything else. Because I, I think it is, it was one of those titles that once you started reading it, it was hard to not be reading it. And I, I've mentioned many times on this show Skyward was the was the title that was on the top of my stack uh, every single time I got it. Um, it didn't matter what else I was in the middle of reading, what else I was interested in. The second I got that issue, that went right to the top of my stack, and I probably would read each issue like two, three times before I finally like put it in my red pile and stuff like that. So, so like I said, it's it's sad that we won't see any more of his vision go go further because I mean I'm sure there's a lot of potential there for more things to happen with the story and with where where it could have gone but uh and it's sad that we're we're gonna be missing just a great guy and that's the thing like he can create something that's fantastic but let's face it there's a lot of creators out there that create something fantastic and then you meet them and they don't live up to the expectation that that you're all right i said i was sorry (laughs) (laughs) whatever shannon Uh, Shannon, if I if if I didn't like you, you wouldn't be on the show as often as you are. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, I appreciate you saying that, uh, Ryan. That you know, I, it was it was very something I kind of was reflecting on uh, when I first got the news. I I, I was very very shocked, and uh, it was it was tough. It was very very tough, and. Yeah. Uh, interesting from the standpoint though that that night you know i talked to you i talked to shannon i talked to grub and yeah. i traded texts with travis and talked to several other friends that i haven't talked to in months yeah and i think that's a real testament to to jeremy and and what he did and what he meant uh to so many people that you know the outpouring of support and love that that we've seen uh the fact that he meant enough that talk to people I haven't talked to in a long time. It was a horrible reason to have to call people, but it, it was meaningful enough that wanted people to know. But 
<laughs> was reflecting after the fact and at Baltimore this year, you know, after we'd had dinner and we were kind of chatting that last day, he said something about, you know, really, really appreciate that we've gotten to be friends over the last several years. And that, that's to me much more poignant now because I'm very fortunate to know him. And, you know, he had many, many friends and many, many uh, supporters. And um, it is, it's very sad to think beyond Scott and, and, and what have you that, yeah. uh, that he, such a talent is gone such a great guy is gone and you know we're going to go to conventions next year and he won't be there and and it will be very visible i mean it will be because like shannon said he was at everything it seemed like i think he was doing what 40 conventions and signings this year i mean it seemed like all the time he was doing something yeah uh so just a a very unfortunate situation but i'm really really glad to see how much outpouring of support there's been and you know, as I think I'd say, even said on Facebook, you know, just even a little piece of the comic book community, really proud of that fact, and, and seeing especially with the GoFundMe sites and how much money people have put together so quickly to help. It's been great to see that so many people have been able to contribute and and, and want to acknowledge and want to share that uh, share the friendship, the the love, the compassion that they have for him. I, I think it's just a real testament to that. Yeah. And uh, just to touch a few things that you mentioned there, one is, like you said, I, I do agree. I think it's a testament to who he was as a person uh, that in a time like that, you know, you said you were reaching out to so many people. I mean, obviously, I had, uh, like I said, I had Travis reaching out to me just before I spoke to you. And, and like those of us that knew him and even however briefly we knew him, he had enough of an impact on us that we were like, whoa this this isn't right this this is somebody who should not be gone right now and uh because of such a great guy that he was and and everything and and i know i've mentioned to some people before you know he he's gone but he's not gone because he there's he touched every single one of us in a very emotional way that we want to put that outpouring out there and, and help and do something. Like I said, I wanted to do this episode because I felt like I needed to do something. This was, this was my outlet to do that. So he did impact everybody and uh, it brought a lot of people together. Like you said, the, the conventions are going to be very different without him being there because uh, especially from what I know uh, of him, uh, Heroes in Baltimore are going to be the two ones really missing him a lot because he was at every single one of those and uh, a big focal point uh, as far as the comic community and everything else uh, interacting with him at those shows. And so, like, I have every intention of being at Baltimore in 2015, and it's going to be weird for me to walk in that door and, and not know that I'm going to be able to see him. So yeah, it's going to be a, a very different world for us. As far as the uh, GoFundMe, uh, I am going to put a link to that uh, with this episode. Uh, I had every intention of doing that. And I know in the recent uh, recent episodes, I mentioned the Toys for Tots campaign. I would rather see that money go towards the GoFundMe, to be perfectly honest. just be, Not because Toys for Tots does, isn't a deserving charity or anything like that, but but I mean, again, this is one of our own that we lost, and if we can help out in any way, uh, I would rather see that money go towards the GoFundMe. 
uh, to help Kel- help Kelly out and everything. So, so you guys out there, if if you were thinking about donating for the Toys for Tots, uh, I will provide the the GoFundMe link on for both this episode and when this episode goes out, I will post it on the Facebook page as well. Um, please give whatever you can. Not that she's one to ask for it either. That's the one thing too is I know Kelly's a very strong individual and and she would never ask anyone to do this uh for her but that's all the more reason why we want to do it for her so any last thoughts gentlemen anything else you wanted to say in regards to our friend that we lost i wanted to mention that um when i was at the services trey alexander was there and i'm anyone that goes to heroes con every year would probably know trey because he's the one that kind of helps organize the auction Mm mm-hmm and the art auction and Jeremy was like anyone that goes every year knows that there is a certain group of individuals <laughs> that kind of run the art auction and it's kind of an elite group and Jeremy was one of the few people in that group uh, the smoking jacket club <laughs> um, but anyway uh, I was talking to Trey and Trey is already in talks with uh, Shelton to try and do some type of commemorative event next year at heroes con oh that's awesome um so there's definitely going to be something something happening we don't i don't know yet if it's going to be some type of fundraiser in his honor as you know like the michael ringo situation the scholarship i don't know if it's going to be something like that i don't know if it's going to be a book that's more of a commemorative um trey had been talking about wanting to do an installation that was about Kind of like a, the, the people that we've lost every year, you know, kind gotcha. of a, a reminder. Uh, but something's definitely going to be done. I know, and he and I talked about this, it's not going to be the same, as you were mentioning. And especially for me, heroes, he was just, uh, Trey was telling me that Jeremy came to his first heroes, won one of the sketch contests, you know, that they, they always hold. Right. And the next year, he, he came back as a professional. So that's how tied into the show he is, or was. Yeah. So it, it's the it, it, Heroes Con has lost one of their... It, it's a family show, and Jeremy was all about kids and all about families and getting families into comics. So it, it's a big blow to Charlotte. I, it's going to be hard for me, because every year when I came and set up, set up my stuff, I expected him to be next to me. Uh, so I just I, it's it's going to be a rough one. But I I had even thought about not going, but I can't see myself not being there, right? Because just to honor Jeremy's memory. So anybody that is looking to come to Heroes, you know, it's it's going to be an event just to say one last goodbye, if nothing else. Yeah, and I'm and I'm hoping uh, one thing, you know, if if nothing else, maybe Robert and I can plan something uh just a little something uh we can talk to some of the coordinators and everything else because we do have some contacts that can help us with that is uh joe con uh it would be nice if they did something you know even if maybe i know robert was talking about doing a a special print for joe con specifically for joe con maybe it could be something that honors jeremy uh even if it's just robert doing something like that but like I said, I can definitely reach out to some of the coordinate people that, some of the coordinators and people that know the coordinators, 
and kind of see if they have anything in mind uh, or if there's something that could be done. Hell, even if it's just a, you know, that the show is in memory of him or something like that, it's put in the program or something like that, that would mean a lot. Yeah, like you said, it, it's something that people are going to remember and people are going to always carry that, carry him with them. Uh, and yeah, like you said, you, you have to, you have to go on and you have to keep doing the things that, that he would, he would have wanted you to do. I mean, he would have wanted you to still be going to Heroes Con and everything else. So, so yeah, it's like I said, it's a, it's a sad time, but at the same time we can honor the life that he had and, and the things that he did and the type of person he was and, and just hopefully, hopefully that bit of time that we had with him made us a little bit better also. So with, with the show, uh, you know, I'm not going to close it with all of our information like we normally do. We're just going to close the show. You're going to hear the interview that was done with Jeremy from uh, Kurt Sasso at the end here. And uh, we're just going to close the show right now. All right. Good afternoon, evening, everyone. Morning, wherever you are in this fine Saturday whatever day it is, uh, <laughs> TGT Media is an entertainment history interview show where we interview the creative people from the internet in the comic, film, TV, music, and video game industries. Of course, I'm your host, Kurt. We are on uh, episode two, 313 right now. I always get those confused. And we are joined today by a very talented comic book artist, uh, joining today from his uh, either very first creation called Skyward Comic. We are joined today by Jeremy Dale. How are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing great. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Anytime, anytime. I'm always love having a person that's been in the industry a while, uh, done some many great uh, works in the past with GI Joe, as uh, along with many other aspects. Um, mm-hmm. But starting off here, you know what? What is Skyward all about? Because I've I've read Skyward the the very first issue, and I'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm really uh, excited about it. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. Uh, Skyward's my new creator-owned fantasy adventure series. It's about a group of people that come together to fend off against the impending invasion of their homeland. It's an all-ages action fantasy, so if you like things like, you know, obviously like Telos or Bones, Studio Ghibli films, things like that, it's going to be right up your alley. Awesome. Good stuff. Now, being that you've worked on other projects in the past that are not your own creative content, mm-hmm. um, why did you want to do Skyward then? precisely because I've done (laughs) things like that. You know, I've been doing, you know, a lot of license work over the past several years, you know, from GI Joe to the Marvel video game, Marvel Kapow, you know, things like that for the last several years. And so I kind of got the itch to do my own creator own book again. And that's where Skyward came from. I saw that there was a real lack of a, I don't know, an approachable all ages fantasy that could be used and to get just about anybody mainstream into the industry or, you know, just bring back readers for that matter. And so, Seeing that, I decided to develop Skyward. Do you find that there, besides, like you said, there's a serious lack of all-ages fantasy comics, though, was this something like kind of in the back of your head that was gnawing on on ideas of possible uh, stories that you wanted to write? Oh, absolutely. Uh, In fact, the first Skyward images I ever drew were during my time on G.I. Joe. (laughs) I, while I was working on the licensed books, you know, drawing Cobra Commander and Destro and all the all those guys, I would be, you know, doodling these little fantasy images in my head and having fun coming up with, you know, backstories and things like that. So when I got the opportunity to take on the book, I jumped at it. Nice. And uh, you're working with, um, is it Action Press? Is it, is it? Action Lab. Action, Action Lab. Lab. Great guys over there. 
Yeah, I, I've I've heard a bit about them. I'm glad that they're taking uh, Skyward under their their proverbial book wing, so to speak, and uh, yeah, <laughs> really help <laughs> really help me out. Now, now this is going to be a graphic novel. This isn't going to be a web presence. This is going to be it's going to be a comic book as well as you know digital comic things like that as well. Mm. It's going to be just about everything you can imagine. The more venues you can get it out there, the better, right? Comicsology and the whole bit like exactly that. comicsology, uh, comics. Uh, Comics Press, yeah, all of that. Nice, nice, good stuff. We'll talk about some of your characters here because, you know, the the young boy that, and I'm not going to spoil it, but the young boy goes through a traumatic experience because, um, you know, well, he he has to set his path, his tail. Uh, First off, let's get the boy's name and and why did you want to create him in, in this particular image? Well, Quinn's our everyman. Quinn's the guy that's going to be taking us through this weird, fantastic world around him. And from his, he, he's a very young boy who was brought up in the middle of the forest in a very normal kind of, you know, secluded life. And he didn't really get a good picture of what the world would be like outside of that. And unfortunately, there's this event that leads him out and leads him out into this, this bigger world around him. And along the way, he finds that there's weird, fantastic creatures. There's these amazing peoples. There's it's just a very diverse, you know, landscape for him to uh, explore. And that's Quinn. <laughs> and um, it almost reminded me a bit of how, uh, pardon the, the comparison, Batman started in the essence where you know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> well, like, it is. It's the it's the classic hero's trope, the hero's trope where you know something has to happen to be a catalyst to kind of push him forward into an all new world. What about writing this type of, of book here? Because I'm I'm not familiar. Are you are you both a, an artist and a writer? Are you the, the yes, author? yes, awesome. I, I'm the artist and the writer of this book. Yeah, nice. So so then writing this type of, of book though, uh, I've said I don't think it's a real big change from what you're used to doing. But but kind of go through your process as to your thinking of of the next few books that you're going to put out for this series. Well, and especially with Skyward, I want to make sure it stays fresh. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, especially at the beginning, may seem a little bit cliche to those that are used to reading, you know, fantasy tropes and things like that. But with Skyward, I'm, I'm just trying to keep it so that you're constantly guessing, you're constantly on your toes. You don't know what's coming next. By the time you hit the end of issue three, you're completely befuddled. You have no idea where it's going from there. And I think you'll be surprised. You've read, say, issue one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think you'll be possibly surprised just for how issue two starts. There's a much larger cast out there. And uh, one thing I was telling somebody earlier was uh, that Quinn and his dog Jack are, aren't so much they are the main characters as much as they are, say, the R2-D2 and C-3PO <laughs> series. They introduce us to the larger concepts and characters around them. Mm-hmm. Then uh, world building, obviously, is something very important when it comes to a huge fantasy oh, world yeah. that you have here. No, what are some of your, your thoughts into building a world from scratch? Well, first, you want to make sure that it feels like it's a full living world. With Skyward, I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, the backgrounds lived. They weren't just, you know, a, a static building or a static tree or the same thing over and over again. Now, mind you, the first few issues do take place heavily in the woods, <laughs> but, but I am trying to, you know, mix it up and make sure each area of the woods looks like its own separate part, uh, its own little cohesive unity, its environment of its own. With, with a book like this, you have to make sure that each character has their own purpose. You want to make sure that each character has their own, you know, they have their own path as well, so that they, they travel along the road with you. If, if they're not doing that, then you're not doing your job as a writer, really. 
Well, you could toss in the occasional rock, you know, just, just <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll put in a rock here. That'll look good. <laughs> we, we can spare the expense. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no rocks were harmed in the making of the background. Um, you know, continuing on here, uh, obviously, like there's the C3PO and R2D2 of the, of your, your world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who, who's the Luke or, or are we going to see the Luke and the Leia and all that other stuff following this? Oh, story? absolutely. Absolutely. The, the, the cast of characters was designed specifically so that they'd have, you know, some aspect to add to the plot, something to add to the overarching, you know, um, just the grand master plan of where I want to go. I have it plotted through issue 18 at the moment and just continues to go through there. I'm currently drawing issue six. I'm really enjoying it. It's hard for me not to spoil every last little thing that, uh, that I'm doing right now while I'm talking to this. And in fact, I have to keep referring back during, you know, say an interview or things like that uh, to make sure that I'm not spoiling things because I forget exactly where everybody else is at the moment. You could occasionally let something slip and it'd be like, uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> cookies. That's what I meant. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> talk, talk about the um, you know working with uh, Kelly, who is also the editor of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the wife, or yeah, she's my wife. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to make sure about that because oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, when, when she brought this up, I, I got an email from her. You know, she was really mm-hmm. excited. Like I could tell. Usually with email, you get the the verbose. You know, oh, well, the, it's about yeah. this book, this book, this book. She was I, like reading the email. She was very excited about the book. Like she was like, I could read it in the text. It was <laughs> like it was. It actually drew me to to start looking into this here. I um, knew there was a reason I married her. <laughs> the, the, the funny emails. Um, <laughs> exactly keeps us going. What about her uh, her approach when it comes to this type of book here? Obviously, you know she she is your your mm-hmm. significant other when it comes to this particular book. But doesn't she have to take kind of like that step back and say, "Oh well, you know, let's you know, how does that work in a?" You know, I brought Kelly on board, uh, especially because I needed to make sure I was making the times. It's not that I have a trouble making a deadline, just I work better when I know there is a deadline. And also, there's a, so much more that goes into making, say, a comic book than just drawing and writing it. You know, the marketing angle or making sure the cover artists or the colorists or the letterers are all staying on time and staying informed. These are all things that took tremendous time out of my day every day. And after answering, I don't know, 50 to 150 emails a day, I, I was getting tired of doing that every single day. And so I asked her if she could help out a little bit here and there. And she's also great as a sounding board. She's helped me out with several of the, the concerns I've had about the plot or character. And she's been really good about, you know, really just, just making sure that I'm staying excited about the whole project in general. She's been great for that. And supportive too. That's the other thing. Exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> if she watches this, you know, at least she'll say, "Hey, he gave me a good word." <laughs> exactly. I love you, dear. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to take a step back, kind of go a little more philosophical in this road here, because I sure. am doing a documentary film called "Little Person Among Media Giant," um, and you know, I kind of want to go into your your inner psyche when it comes to the comic itself, or rather just yeah. yourself as a person, I should say. Um, starting off, you know, who were who were some of your inspirations, you know, getting on your path to where you are now? Well, obviously, um, <clears throat> my parents were a big part of this. My dad ran a comic shop when I was a, a young kid, uh, I guess in the late 80s, early 90s, or throughout the 80s and some of the 90s. Uh, 
so when he had that comic shop, I got to read, you know, your Will Eisner's, your Jack Kirby's, your John Burns and George Perez's, all of that. And that really, I think, helped me inform what I wanted to become later when I started creating my own books. So those guys automatically. Uh, most importantly for a book like this, Bill Watterson was a big, big influence on me. As I said earlier, the, the uh, Hayao Miyazaki uh, Studio Ghibli films were fantastic inspirations. And I wish there were more books that were doing things like that because the kind of landscapes he builds, the worlds are just fully formed uh, from the first moment you see those films. And if I can do even a little bit of that or just evoke some of that, then I'm doing my job. Do you consider yourself successful? Uh, remotely. I mean, I think you talk to just about any artist or creator in this industry and you're going to get probably the same answer. Uh, I know that, uh, you talk to guys like Adam Hughes and they're not happy with their work. So I guess I can't be expected (laughs) to truly love my work. I think if you love your work too much that you're probably going to stagnate as an artist or a creator, you want to find ways to improve. You want to always be seeking out the next thing and seeking out the next kind of uh, the angle or technique or whatever you can do to increase your talent. And so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm somewhat happy with what I'm doing. There's, there's times when I draw something, I'm like, okay, I can look back on that tomorrow and I'll still like it. But I'd say most of the time I'm like, all, the only thing I'll see are the, the, are the mistakes, the errors, the things that uh, immediately point out to me, okay, I could have made the storytelling clearer here, or I could have done this differently, or the transition could work differently, or whatever, what have you. Then how do you deal with your failures? Uh, one step at a time, one page at a time. Uh, it's a deadline-centric industry. And that helps a lot. And it tells you that you have to keep producing stuff if you want to keep getting jobs, if you want to still you know, bring in income. So because of those deadlines, you have to just put it away at the end of the day. Just say, okay, this page is done. I'll try and improve next time. If you keep noodling that same page and erasing and erasing over and over, you're never going to get anywhere. You need to get onto that next page because the deadline is there. It's still, the time is still ticking. So you need to be able to keep pushing on. And anytime I see a mistake, I'm like, I got to work on that. I got to work on that. Do you have like the, the binder full of mistakes you can correct type feel? Oh, yeah. Actually, I've, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a binder right here of things that I'm working with. Huge, thick binder of things and elements and characters and things that I need to, to keep working on and keep developing. What about the, the next generation coming through? We'll talk about your convention season, uh, convention aspects in a second, but yeah. when it comes to the, the younger generation coming up, obviously, you know, they look to yourself as inspirations, but uh, how can they inspire the next generation? I think they can inspire just by buying the kind of books that they like. Um, <clears throat> with Skyward, I'm, I'm hoping to bring in the new generation. I'm hoping to bring in guys that are more, you know, guys and girls, I should say. Any gender is fine, honestly. Obviously, I was just using that as a blanket. Uh, by I've been trying to bring in people that are more interested in, say, in the video game aspect. You know, people that play video games because it's a large market and it's right up our alley. It's right next door. It's like our it's like our close cousins, and we should be appealing more to them. And uh, I think with with uh, you know this book especially, I'm trying to add little elements that they'll say, "Oh yeah, that reminds me of this," or "That reminds me of that." That that thing I love so much. And I think the way that they can inspire the next, you know, the next generation is simply by, you know, telling people, expressing it. When they like something, send them a letter, send them an email, or just express it on a forum somewhere because most of us creators, we're going to find it. We're looking for feedback. We work in a vacuum. We work in a very small space. And the only feedback we get is online, typically, or a show, like a convention or a signing. 
Well, talk about conventions then, because, um, uh, you know, when it comes to your, uh, your conventions, going to these cons, you know, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're doing your commissions, you're doing your signings, everything like that. How's the fan interaction been for you personally? Honestly, I think, especially in person, I think it's universally positive. Uh, you know, online, obviously, you're going to get a lot of the haters and the trolls, and especially during my G.I. Joe run, it was hard to go online for a while. <laughs> but uh, I would say that in person, those are the people that are absolutely passionate about what you're doing or what they're looking for, what they're excited about. That's why they're there. They paid 20-some dollars to get a ticket. Now they want to go in there and just feel the excitement, you know, get riled up. And uh, at shows, I find it really, really energizing to see just the level of uh, excitement and passion, like I said, that they're, uh, that they're expressing. They're, they're really excited about the product, and they're looking for new things to excite them more. And that's awesome. That's great to see. How do you stay excited, then, doing your job? I stay excited by, one, doing conventions and shows, uh, and always trying to find interesting things to do, because there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of work in this industry that you can get, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, there's a lot of work that you can get that isn't as exciting. There's a lot of, like I would say, I, I tell this occasionally, uh, I would say 90% of the emails I get about working on new projects are from new writers or from somewhat established writers that want to work on a post-apocalyptic zombie book. And I've done like six of those at this point. I'm kind of tired of it. That's another reason I did Skyward, to do something a little bit more lighthearted, a lot more along the lines of what I want to do. Uh, is something that you know is approachable as, as opposed to just everything has to be dark and depressing all the time. I like it when people are excited, when they're smiling. When a hero is smiling, then you know. I mean, they have superpowers, most of these guys in comics, right? If you have a superpower, how could you be frowning all the time? That's why Batman's frowning. That's why Batman's frowning. I'll tell you. He's always but, in the he's always in the dark. Why doesn't he get like you know a tea party set up? Exactly. Enjoy it. You're rich. <laughs> oh no! I have to hold on to that brooding aspect, or my bat powers will. Disappear. Oh no! I exactly. I have a really developed backstory and family. They all love me. Where? <laughs> oh god at least at least alfred uh understands me oh wait he's is he dead in this issue i don't know exactly <laughs> um talk about some some people that kind of gave you some some inspirational advice then as you were working throughout your career you know one of the nice things about comics in the creator community is that nearly everybody is very open and understanding and they want to help you get to that next level. They want to help you, you know, achieve that dream that you're looking for. So there's a huge kind of not really official, but it's like unspoken, you know, uh, support group amongst people amongst the creators or upcoming creators. I know in Atlanta alone, and I know this is rare, but uh, here in Atlanta where I live, there are dozens and dozens of top-notch comic book creators from Adam Hughes to Coley Hamner, Laura Martin, Brian Stelfreeze, the whole Gaijin Studios crew of gold. You know, all those guys are here. We also have the animation guys at Cartoon Network and Adult Swim are here. Awesome. And along the way, you're going to get a lot of kids from, you know, out of art school, say SCAD is down here, or you get a lot of guys that are just looking for, you know, how do I get to that next level? How do I get to where you are, say. And uh, we're all really open about it, typically. We want to help if we can, whether that's tips, critiques, whatever it may be. 
Have you personally mentored? I guess mentoring would be the proper word for this mm-hmm. as well. Have you personally mentored anyone that has broken into the industry? Personally, not as much. I would say that it's it's a lot more um, the casual aspect with me. I haven't had a chance to have like the intern yet <laughs> that some of these guys have had uh, in town. And uh, though online, there's a there's a forum called Pencil Jack. That's an online forum for primarily comic book illustrators. And that entire website is populated by guys just looking for the, to you know how do I improve to get to that next level to become a professional illustrator. And I would say about three dozen or so guys have gone pro from that website, whether it's Robert Kirkman who started at, uh, you know, pencil Jack or Corey Walker, you know, Ryan Otley, you know, a lot of his crew, Tony Moore, mm-hmm. there was me, there's Robert Atkins from GI Joe and others like that. Just a huge list. Kari Randolph. He's incredible. Yeah. A lot of guys that have gone pro and I've helped out a lot there by giving, you know, good critiques or just trying to be there and give them business advice, which is something they really should teach. <laughs> Uh, creators in the industry is that's the one angle no one's teaching at say an art school is uh you know how to do your taxes properly because the irs will come after you if you don't do it right or uh you know how to keep yourself from going under you know how to you know keep projects going how to keep you know business coming in that kind of stuff do you find that uh with the advent of the crowdsourcing everything like that the kickstarters indiegogos all that other fun stuff mm-hmm. uh in uh, would you approach that angle for, say, funding a book for, say, Skyward? I've considered it. I've considered it in the past. Uh, I haven't done it yet. Uh, I have considered it because creator-owned is a really rough ride, and I'm I'm paying my letterer and colorist out of my own pockets. Um, it's not like Marvel or DC where they're handling the the risk factor of it. it you know, on creator-owned, you're handling it all yourself. It's either people are donating their time or you're paying them. And so that's a really rough angle, and that's probably why I would start a Kickstarter, say, or an Indiegogo, as you said, hmm. is be to try and help pay some of those expenses. Because I've got the publisher now. The publisher is now taking care of the initial cost of printing. So that helps out tremendously. <laughs> but uh, you know, paying the colorist, that's another thing entirely. Would I? Yes. Have I? Not yet. Okay. Then is there um, – well – we're we're coming towards the end of our interview here, and it's been actually very entertaining. I'm I'm always enjoying this as well. <laughs> thank, thank you're, you're a funny guy. I like it. Um, I that. <laughs> spoiler alert, spoiler alert segment. Really, I figure I've been saying this for five years. I'd be able to say that simple word. Hey, come on, <laughs> professionalism. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> overrated. Um, when it comes to a, a little teaser or something like that for the, uh, the the watchers and readers of your work, uh, what do you have that are kind of like dangle that carrot in front of us, so to speak, when it comes to Skyward? Sure, uh, absolutely. Right off the bat, war is coming. I'm building <laughs> a big, gigantic battle that's going to be happening, I'd say, around issue seven or eight or so. And uh, which is right after I finish drawing this issue. <laughs> so it's really soon for me. But uh, war is coming, and there's going to be heavy casualties, and there's going to be a lot of change that happens to the book, and a few huge surprises for people that have been following since the beginning. Nice. That's good stuff. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you'd love for everyone to, to know about, uh, either about the comic book yourself, anything that you want to plug? Uh, not all, oh, you know what? I'm a natural brunette. <laughs> There you go. Uh, other than that, no, I think I'm pretty good. My website's jeremydale.com, jeremy-dale.com. And uh, Action Labs? Uh, and Action Lab is the publisher, yeah. 
and actionlabs.com or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Awesome. It's Action Lab. Yeah, I think it's actionlab.com. Awesome. Good stuff. And they put out a great line of, uh, of, uh, you know, all ages stuff as well as adult fantasy in their, in their, uh, danger zone line but they the all ages stuff they do like uh princeless and molly danger by jamal eigel just fantastic just fantastic books i'm really proud to be a part of it awesome well hey jeremy thank you so much for, for taking thank the time you. to do this and um i just want to say you know i look forward to to skyward the the series i know people watching this and and listening to the show on itunes will will be happy to, to grab it any way shape or form uh what cons are you going to this year uh for the rest of the year, let me see, I have Comic-Con in San Diego coming up in a few weeks now. Uh, yeah. After that, I have Baltimore, uh, Baltimore Comic-Con, Dragon Con. Nice. i a show called Comic Book City Con in Greensboro, North Carolina. The, the comic shop there, Acme Comics, is a fantastic retailer. And uh, they've really developed a real huge community of fans in the community like you would not believe. Their free comic book day is thousands of people showing up up to as early as noon the day before to line up. <laughs> they have tents. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's just amazing what they've been able to build. And they have their first show, show this year, their first convention. Huh? And so I'm going to be there for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, New York Comic Con and you know the typical, the usual suspects. <laughs> I usually try to have my convention information listed on my website. In fact, I'm getting ready to put up my signing schedule. I'm doing a signing tour uh, in... Let me see, late July, early August, starting around there. And that's going to be going all the way through the East Coast, the Midwest, and beyond. So it's going to be everywhere. Awesome. Good stuff. <laughs> well, you got to come up Canada way, you know, up north. Yeah. You know, I've done a couple shows there. The Fan Expo Toronto show is yeah. fantastic. Uh, I'd like to do a couple more. I've heard some good things. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there this uh, this August for Fan Expo Toronto as well. Very so cool. That's going to be fun. All right. Well, I will let you go. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. And I hope that... Uh, you know, check out Skyward, check out uh, Jeremy Dale's work on jeremydale.com, as well as Action Labs, the publisher of this fine, wonderful novel, graphic, comic book, uh, extraordinary. Comic book, celebrate the industry. Comic. Yes. <laughs> comic first. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you. We Thank are, you. That was a lot of fun. Set. Oh, good. <laughs>